Welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson. This week, just a quick episode celebrating the death of a prominent Nazi. Quick See You in Hell-centered episode this week. See You in Hell is a segment on this podcast where I celebrate the death of a prominent right-wing figure in history. This week, we're going back to World War II in Nazi Germany. We're talking about somebody named Albert Speer. Uh, that's S-P-E-E-R. Uh, Speer is famous for several reasons. Uh, he was a prominent architect in the Nazi regime. He was an armaments uh, minister and is also the archetype of a particular idea that a lot of people have about um, certain participants in the Nazi regime, the supposed good Nazi. Um, we'll see about that. Speer was born in Germany in 1905 uh, to a middle-class family, mostly of architects. His father was an architect. His grandfather was an architect. He was an architect too. Uh, he had a relatively successful school career and then career as an independent architect. He then joined the Nazi party in 1931 uh, as a relatively, you know, middle range party member. Uh, he joined um, as I think number 400,000 ish, something like that. Uh, so in 1931, the Nazi party was doing relatively well electorally, but had not yet seized power. Uh, so this is somebody who joined the party as a believer, right? He joined the party because he liked what they stood for electorally. Uh, his mother was also a longtime party member. His father, however, disliked the Nazis intensely. Uh, he got some commissions with the Nazi party, uh, renovating some offices. Uh, and then upon the Nazis' seizure of power, in 1933, he was granted the commission to design the architecture and just surroundings of their successful Nuremberg rally. Uh, Nazi party headquarters was in Nuremberg, and so the, the rally was held in Nuremberg. Eventually, uh, he became the party's chief architect uh, later uh, in 1934, uh, after the death of the previous chief architect, which was one of his mentors. Uh, as chief architect of the Nazi party, he became a personal contact with Hitler, uh, not just because they were planning and doing, you know, a lot of party renovation, renovating government buildings and stuff. Uh, but Speer also was designing a planned, complete renovation of the city of Berlin, uh, according to the imagination of Adolf Hitler, uh, who wanted Berlin to be redesigned in a sort of like bombastic Roman style. Uh, this proposed new city, uh, was going to be called Germania, uh, and it was going to consist of like just monstrously large boulevards and buildings, like dwarfing the kind of architecture that Berlin has, dwarfing a lot of other monumental type architecture. Uh, these kinds of plans are relatively common, uh, for revolutionary political organizations. Uh, the Nazis plan was to like completely renovate Berlin. Uh, in a Nazi style. Uh, if you are a viewer of, well, any number of alternate history uh, pieces of media, but for example, the, um, I think the recent HBO show, Man in the High Castle, um, a lot of the like crazy huge buildings that they show in, you know, Berlin, if the Nazis won World War II, those are the architectural plans that Speer made uh, for this proposed renovation of Berlin. Now, None of that shit happened, fortunately. Uh, instead, uh, Speer became increasingly involved in armaments production and logistics uh, as the war deepened uh, and as it became apparent that these sorts of like pie-in-the-sky plans for how to renovate the city after the war was over uh, needed to wait until the war was over. Uh, Speer became increasingly important 
in the German government. And this is where his participation in not just in German government, but in Nazi war crimes really intensified. Uh, Speer became essentially in charge of arms production and just like a lot of defense and military production in general. Uh, and he used, you know, his ability to organize logistics, the programs and, you know, production required as an architect in order to perform this job. Uh, he also uh, used a lot of enslaved labor, um, not just from people who had been imprisoned during the Holocaust, um, but also people who had been imprisoned and moved into Germany from uh, towns and cities on the Western Front uh, in occupied France, Belgium, and the Netherlands. Uh, Speer would later claim that he knew nothing about this enslaved labor, this is, of course, a lie, uh, but more on that later. Uh, so Speer became increasingly important uh, to German arms production and really embedded himself in the German government. Upon Germany's surrender at the conclusion of uh, World War II in Europe, uh, Speer was arrested uh, and eventually was put on trial in Nuremberg for his participation in war crimes and crimes against humanity, namely this use of enslaved labor. Now, Speer's defense is what makes him a particularly interesting figure in the history of the Nazi party. His defense was uh, to craft an image of himself as a neutral administrator, a technocrat, uh, just an organizer, somebody who, quote, got caught up in fascism uh, rather than being a true believer. Now, just from the explanation I've given you so far, you know that that's bullshit. Um, he joined the party before it took office. He was a true believer. There were members of his family that were true believers. Um, but that was his defense. Um, the judges didn't buy it, particularly the Soviet judge uh, sought the death penalty for Speer for his use of enslaved labor. Uh, he was saved the death penalty by the other judges at Nuremberg. They came to a compromised decision. He was convicted uh, and sentenced to 20 years imprisonment in Spandau prison, uh, which you might recall from one of the earlier episodes earlier this month um, as the uh, final resting place of a lot of dead Nazis. While in Spandau, he wrote a memoir, which was not allowed. Spandau prison prisoners were not supposed to be able to write memoirs. He gardened. Uh, he went on long walks, kept himself as healthy as he could. Uh, he was released on time October 1st, 1966, having served his 20 years, uh, a lot of people tried to commute his sentence or tried to, you know, get him released early, including Charles de Gaulle. Again, the Soviets refused uh, and said that, you know, he's a war criminal and we can't let him out of prison early because he's a war criminal. Anyway, he got out uh, October 1st, 1966, and immediately launched a public speaking and writing career. Uh, he tried to be an architect again, but it kind of didn't work because of the history of being a war criminal. Um, he wrote a series of very successful memoirs, most famously uh, one called, uh, the, the English title is Inside the Third Reich, uh, which was a massive success, both financially and politically. Specifically, I'm saying politically because it's a really big part of how Speer presented himself. Uh, like I said, he tried and successfully presented himself as the good Nazi, quote unquote. Uh, you know, somebody who wasn't really a believer in fascism, but just, you know, liked the reorganization and the galvanization of their country, um, who thought that Hitler was kind of crazy, but also an extremely effective leader and administrator, and who, you know, liked the way that Germany was becoming powerful again. Uh, 
That's how Speer presented himself. He also specifically denied any personal knowledge of any of the war crimes and crimes against humanity committed by the Nazi party or by Germany under the Nazi party. These claims are, of course, false. Uh, they have been determined to be false by Speer's own writing, uh, personal writing that uh, has been made public uh, in the 21st century, actually. Uh, these are personal letters written between Speer and members of his family uh, in which he fully admits that, of course, he knew about the crimes that he was participating in. Uh, but the point is actually bigger than Speer himself, because he he was able to present this veneer of, you know, ignorance, uh, even naivete. Uh, and a lot of Western audiences bought it, particularly in the United States, the United Kingdom. And that enabled other people who participated in or aided and abetted the Nazi regime to present themselves in the same way. Speer was a personal confidant of Adolf Hitler. He was Hitler's friend. And so the story would go, if even he didn't know about the Holocaust, then it would be possible for these people to defend themselves in the same way too, right? Uh, this was, of course, a lie, but it was a very successful one. And it's one that Speer uh, continued to maintain and profit off of uh, and get a lot of publicity from until his death. Uh, like I said, he spent uh, the rest of his life from 1966, his release, uh, as a public speaker. Uh, he traveled extensively around Germany and also to the United Kingdom. Uh, and he actually died there in the United Kingdom on his second visit uh, in London on September 1st. 1981, uh, while there to speak for the BBC. And uh, that is the conclusion of Speer's life, uh, but his legacy, the supposed Speer myth, uh, quote unquote, um, of a good Nazi, you know, a Nazi who was just, just following orders, uh, just being an administrator, just being a technocrat, just working for the government, uh, that lives on. And so, Speer, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you like the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Uh, please comment. Please uh, check out my Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash 15 Minutes of Fascism. That's 15 Minutes of Fascism, all one word. Uh, I can also be reached at Gmail at 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. Okay. Uh, I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.